little disconcerted. There's actually a lot of um, resources and ideas for Advent, and then it would kind of drop off like on Christmas Day. I'm like, well, what do you do on Christmas? And then life just reverts to normal. Um, so that's something too we can talk about uh, to the end, like um, the practice of Advent is obviously we're hoping we're Anglicans and one of the Anglican slogans is matter matters right so symbols are really not just important but really helpful and really practical we're embodied people um, Jesus took on a body um, so these physical things are meaningful um, but it's not just nobody I don't think just wants to remember to light the wreath and say a few words on Sunday right it's some deeper experience of Christ, hey, Steve, um, that we're longing for. Um, and that's more than you can, that's not something we can just talk about here and then go do. Um, but it is something that we can practice as individuals and as a community and grow in that capacity to welcome Christ each year. It goes a little bit deeper. Um, it is exciting to me, again, having just been in the Anglican Church for almost a decade now is like, oh wow, actually this is starting, <laughs> it's starting to come together more and more. Um, so it's just, a, that's just one facet of our discipleship um, in Christ as, as growing more and more like Christ and having more and more of our lives revolving around him. So thank you. That's really helpful. I will probably still have a little bit of going back and forth on like, oh, am I going to read this part or talk about this or skip it? So please just bear with me. Um, also, please feel very free to like raise your hand and interrupt to ask a question. If I skipped over something, it seems like you were supposed to know, but you don't, or um, you're curious about something, feel no hesitation um, to jump in. Um, yeah, I think I would just add one thing yes. to what was already said. I totally mm -hmm. am on the same page with the other two people. Mm -hmm. but I would also just like to kind of understand how Advent fits into the liturgical year. Yes. Like I know ordinary time, like just Advent, right? Even yes, then, yes. <laughs> and like the colors will change from green to purple or yes. whatever, but, but I don't know that I fully understand how that all fits together. Gotcha. Right? So like that's another you know, component of it. Yeah, so I can add that in at the beginning here because uh, there's a... So a lot of my notes are just quotes that I think other writers and authors have expressed something like, wow, it's beautifully expressed and it's true. Um, and so I often begin with liturgical teaching um, with this quote that's an analogy to an art gallery, like practicing or observing rather the liturgical year is kind of like wandering through an art gallery. Um, so you want to start by reading this. Yes, Joshua. Um, so if Advent's purple, what color is like? Also purple, and we will get to why that is. Well, I'll just tell you. We'll kill the suspense right now. <laughs> Advent and Lent are both seasons of preparation for big feasts. So Lent, or Advent, and I often switch those two, so I might refer to Lent here, and I don't mean Lent, I mean Advent. Um, Advent <laughs> prepares us for Christmas, Christmas tide, which is a 12 day, the 12 days of Christmas celebration. It's like a 12 day feast. And Lent prepares us for Easter, an Easter tide, which is a 50-day feast. So both the purple comes for purple. The shorthand for it is get ready. So there's seasons of preparation. And the purple color is for royalty. So we're preparing for the advent or the coming of the king. So it's the same color, Lent and Advent. 
and they sound true. What's that? Is what I'm sorry, I couldn't understand the first. Are there seasons in between there? In between Advent and Lent. Yes, actually, I will go through the whole calendar real quick. Um, I think that is real helpful. Your dad was asking the same thing. I yeah, think. I was actually one of those. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this awesome quote here. A pilgrimage through the entire order of the daily morning prayer in its present form is like a journey through a vast collection of precious works of art. To absorb all their beauty, even to a small degree, would take many hours of concentration as well as the ability to experience an immense variety of insight one after the other. But the time allotted to daily prayer is too brief, and all we are able to accomplish is a hasty glance. No participant can take it all in at once. Our hasty glance can sometimes linger on a particularly striking word or expression before our attention is required to move on. At another time, we may be struck by some other word or expression. And not all participants will be struck by the same words. No one can take in and absorb all that the liturgical year has to say and teach as we make its pilgrimage. But the consolation is that most of us will have many years to do it again and again and make more and deeper discoveries. So this quote is talking just about the practice of daily morning prayer, which is a whole other thing. But I found this so um, relevant um, to my experience of traveling through the liturgical year. Like there's so much that you miss, not just the first time, the second time, the third time, and each time there's something else that might grab your attention and move you or confuse you or attract you, um, but each year it's kind of added to, and that is a, a consolation for like, wow, there's so much. I mean, you can feel the richness. Um, of, of the seasons as, as they go by, and you can't absorb it all, but you can accrue year after year after year, which is very reassuring. Um, so the liturgical year, in brief, it actually starts at Advent, although I learned today the Eastern Orthodox Christian New Year is in September. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> But generally in North America, in, well, not just North America, um, both the Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, other Lutherans um, and so forth, Presbyterians, Christian New Year is Advent. And Advent begins with the season of anticipation um, for the coming of Christ. Then we move to Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. Christmas tide is 12 days long. That is ended with, what's that? Would you want to say in the color of worship? Yes, so the color for um, Advent is purple. Christmas tide is white. Um, Epiphany is also white. Epiphany is January 6th. Um, it's traditionally like the, I associate with the wise men. Um, and the star revealing that this Christ is not just for the Gentiles, but for the whole world. Um, so then the season after Epiphany, you can call it uh, Epiphany Tide or Ordinary Time. There's different ways to look at it. This makes figuring out how our church wants to observe it a little confusing. Um, because some churches stay white all through Epiphany Tide. Um, some churches go back to green. Um, and it's still in that vein. The, the readings would be the same regardless of the color. So the color 
um, between Epiphany and Lent. Um, I think Emmanuel, I think we go back to green. Um, some churches it might be white. But then at Ash Wednesday, um, we enter the season of Lent, which is the preparation of special um, emphasis on prayer and fasting and almsgiving in preparation for Easter. Easter is also white um, or white and gold. Um, the season of Easter lasts 50 days, and then there's Pentecost, um, and Pentecost is red. Um, and that's just one big Sunday, and then the season that follows is ordinary time. It can also be numbered from Pentecost, too. So in our bulletin, again, like, this is terrible. I can't remember um, whether we say third Sunday in ordinary time or if we say Pentecost 3. Um, either is appropriate. So, yes. So, yes, yes. So um, that is the longest season. It's usually roughly six months of the year. The color is green, which you can remember that green is for growth. So ordinary time, um, the liturgy is constant. We'll use the same Eucharistic prayer all through ordinary time. The word ordinary comes from order or ordinal, like the numbers. Um, but it's also, um, there's emphasis on uh, the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Like his ministry years are what is focused on in the gospel readings, for example. Um, and then ordinary time takes us right up back into Advent. Now there are some other special Sundays in there. I think of that as like the second tier of things to remember. And so I'm still a little slippery on those. Like Trinity Sunday is a big deal. All Saints Day um, comes in there in November. The traditional color for All Saints Day is also red for martyrs, but because we have always celebrated baptisms on All Saints Day, the color is white because the festal, holy, celebratory colors of white and gold sort of supersede the anything else that's happening. So that's a really quick overview of the whole year. Um, yeah, so again, this is where I'm like, so I'm gonna start moving along here. Please feel free to jump in. Um, I'm just gonna highlight some things. So basic information, probably most of us are aware of Advent, is a four-week season preceding Christmas, and it's marked by the four Sundays before Christmas. Because Christmas is a particular date, um, rather than one that moves around like Easter, um, the relationship between the last Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve moves around. So this year, kind of funky, Advent 4 is Christmas Eve. So particularly if you're interested in observing Advent, like what does that mean? Technically, <laughs> you need to get your fourth Sunday Advent um, service in before sunset and then as soon as it's sunset you can celebrate Christmas that's when Christmas begins so obviously happily there are no liturgical police <laughs> if, if you skip Advent and go straight to Christmas that's awesome if you don't do Christmas Eve at sunset and you do it at midnight or Christmas Day it's all good it's all flexible yes Joshua um, so next year um, um, Christmas Day will be a Sunday Will Christmas Day be Advent 4 or will um, Advent 1 be You're making me do calendar math, and even regular math is really hard. If you hold that one till the end, I'll help you figure it out. Last year, Sunday, Christmas was on Sunday. Last year? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh. Um, yes, so 
I think some of this history stuff is both pretty interesting for its own sake, but also informs, I think, our understanding of Advent. So I'm going to dive into this a little bit here. Um, so the earliest um, evidence that we have of the church calendar, like after Christ, what did the early Christians celebrate? Um, from really, really early on, there's lots of evidence that um, special feast days were just Easter and Pentecost. And every Sunday was a feast day also. Every Sunday is a feast day. That's why it's actually in Lent when there's fasting and other types of abstinence happening. Um, you kind of get a freebies on Sunday because that's a feast day in that season of fasting. Um, but so the first feast days celebrated by early Christians were um, Easter and Pentecost. Um, everything else started developing after Christianity was legalized, which makes sense. So that is in 313 AD. I have to look at my notes here. Um, when it when persecution of Christians largely ceased and Christians were able to gather in large numbers and discuss things and kind of develop their liturgical practices and their calendar. Um, so it also, it began and it developed very differently in different countries and different time periods. Um, so in some areas in Europe, um, Advent began with a three-week period of penitence. So it's more somber, um, more confession of sins, more of what we associate with Lent now. Um, uh, three weeks of preparation for Christmas and Epiphany because, and this is really key to our current observance of Advent, we are preparing not just to, um, yes, there's, there's a couple concepts here. Um, it's not just a remembrance and a celebration of the incarnation of Jesus at Christmas. It is also simultaneously um, a confident longing and expectation of his second coming. In judgment, So there is a lot of, it's not just baby Jesus in the manger and leading up to that, but it's also preparation for the end of time and the day of the Lord and his coming in power and glory and judgment. So those themes are both hit pretty strong in the four weeks of Advent, and we'll get a little more into that, but... Um, that was the earliest sort of the beginning of Advent were the season of preparation. Um, so emphasizing the needs for conversion, um, prayer, fasting, more regular church attendance, attendance if you've slapped off, that sort of thing. So again, a little bit more similar um, to Lent. Um, and some carryovers in our current practice of that is we'll drop, um, oh no, that's not true. Um, so there's some liturgical changes that you will notice. Um, like we'll move from the Gloria, which we sing at the beginning, all during ordinary time switches to the Trisagion, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which I may not be the holy, holy, holy. Um, so it's just a, a slightly more somber focus, just a little bit. Um, skipping over that. So there's different parts of the world we're celebrating or observing um, Advent in different ways. Um, the final week of uh, Advent, um, there's some theories that in Rome it was to contrast. There's a seven-day revelry in honor of the god Saturn. And so the Christians sort of countered that culturally with um, 
I'll get to this in a little bit. The, the fourth week of Advent has a slightly different focus, but it's those seven days sort of intensify. There's more of a daily um, practice there. Um, so the, the length of Advent was kind of fixed at four weeks in the sixth century. Pope Gregory the First. If there are any history buffs, I just you know write down the notes and don't know a lot about this. Um, yes, exactly. Gregorian chant developed in the same time. Pope Gregory. Um, it's usually explained theologically as the four weeks correspond to um, four thousand years of waiting between creation and the coming of the Messiah. Not that the ancients were necessarily young Earth believers. Um, they did interpret it um, somewhat symbolically there. Um, and there are some um, more sort of antique Christmas carols. Uh, Adam lay e bounden, bounden in a bond, 4,000 winter, thought he not too long. So it's 4,000 years of, of sort of bondage for the human race before the Savior came. Um, so that the length of time was standardized um, the 6th century, beginning in the 7th century, and since the 9th century, the liturgical year has begun with Advent. So that's um, slightly more recent, only, again, I can't do math in front of people, 1,300 years um, that we've uh, had um, the new year start at Advent. Um, and then there are some more recent changes, like actually pretty recent um, things that we associate quite a bit um, with Advent. So the color, for example, um, was sort of standardized at, at Vatican II, which I don't know the exact date, but that was in the 60s, that's just before I was born. Um, yeah, and there's so, some other liturgical uh, changes you'll notice is the color is the um, most obvious. We'll exchange the glory for the trisagion. There'll be, we usually do a threefold blessing at the end. So when Father Aaron stands to bless us just before we depart the service, um, they'll reference the first coming and the second coming in that blessing. Um, yes, so that's kind of a really quick overview of um, the history of Advent. I welcome questions, but please know I don't know a lot but beyond what I've already told you. Um, but so um, the purpose and theological emphases in Advent, I think, are where things start to get more meaningful, um, even. Um, the Western church tends to focus on the advent of Christ as king and messiah, and there's a focus in, in the Western world um, as Advent is a preparation for Christmas specifically. The Eastern Church actually focuses on the identity of Christ as the light of the world, and their focus of preparation actually lands a little more heavily on epiphany. So I think that's interesting. Like there is, um, there's preparation for both that come in this season, and different parts of the church might emphasize that um, a little differently. And I threw that out there actually because as we begin and, and go on in our um, uh, cultivating an awareness of Christ in a special way this season, one or the other of those might be more relevant to where you are this Advent. The invitation from Christ to you in the season might be more Christ as King, Christ as Messiah or Deliverer, Christ as the light of the world. Like I was talking to 
a friend who just struggles more with depression. Like once the days get shorter, we hit daylight savings time, it's darker, it's colder. I'm thinking like, this is a great time to really emphasize waiting for the light, the light of the world. Um, so there are different emphases I think can um, really inform our, our personal devotional practices and our communal ones. Um, so yes, um, Advent relates uh, to the anticipation of Christ's second coming um, just as much as to the first. Um, quote here, it's, an it's not merely an introduction to the incarnation, but rather the completion of the work of redemption. So this is um, a really meaningful way to understand this sort of dual focus on the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ um, was a reality and also a deposit, right? So because he came the first time, we know he is coming the second time. You know, humanity waited thousands of years for the coming of the promised Messiah, and he came. And now we are in a season of waiting and anticipating for his second coming. But we have the advantage of actually having received the Holy Spirit, having, you know, there's historical witness born to that first coming. Um, so that's viewed as this is the certainty that we have in the second coming is there in large part because we have humanity's witness that first coming. Um, so a lot of um, liturgical and sacramental practice involves things that feel, um, it's a little bit feels like a reenactment, right? So we're waiting, we're waiting for Christmas, we know Jesus already came, or we pretend waiting, like how does that work? Sacramental time works a little differently, and you kind of got to go more with sort of an intuitive understanding, I think, than a really rational, if you overthink, you really can trip yourself up. Um, so just a reminder that liturgical time is seen as primordial or mythical time. It's sacramental, it's mystical time. Um, really emphasizes the reality of the now, not yet. So Christ has died, he has conquered sin and death. Um, that victory is, has already happened, um, but the effects are not fully known yet. So I still struggle with sin, and I will experience death unless that second coming comes before I die. Um, but the scope of Advent and time and space, think of it as universal, comprehensive, timeless, and encompassing all of creation. Um, so here are a few quotes by um, elegantly gifted historical figures. Um, Bernard of Clairvaux, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, spoke of three comings actually in the Advent. Um, the coming of in the flesh at Bethlehem, Jesus is vulnerable and visible, that first coming. In our hearts, daily, invisible, but in spirit and in power. So we're experiencing that current reality right now. Um, and then his coming in glory at the end of time when he will be visible to all. And the scope of his majesty will sort of have full play there. Um, Cyril of Jerusalem spoke of a fourfold pattern. There is a birth from God before the ages and a birth from a virgin at the fullness of time. There is a hidden coming like that of rain on fleece and a coming before all eyes still in the future. 
So that's another sort of dimension of the ways that, that God has drawn near to us. Um, for the incarnation as a, an historical event marks the beginning of our salvation and ensures its completion in the return of Christ. Between his first and second comings, this risen Christ is not idle. He is at work shaping and molding all things into the pattern of his paschal mystery. Thus, the Sundays in Advent celebrate in word and sacrament his coming now in the midst of this world. So um, we'll get into this in, in, a, in a little bit, but the, um, the New Testament readings during the season of Advent typically focus on um, how we are to live in this time. Because Christ has come, and because he's coming again, we live lives of um, anticipation and preparation. We keep watch. We keep vigil. Um, we're like the, um, the, the virgins with the lamp in their oil. We're not the ones that fall asleep. Like, the Holy Spirit is busy. Christ is busy. We are busy. Not like busy, busy, but like active, aware, awake, like on mission with Christ. Eager anticipation is the mood of Advent. Um, and then, so it's just a few words on the mood of Advent. Um, this is the wonderful thing about the liturgical year, is there is not just a focus, but a mood or a posture of the heart that is called for in the various seasons of the church, which is a really interesting phenomenon. My first... Um, I first jumped into um, the Anglican Church. It was a season of Lent, and I was having a pretty good time. Like, you know, life was going well. You know, I didn't really, I felt a little bit of dissonance between what God was bringing to me in my life and, like, the mood of the church. And I talked to somebody about it because, you know, I like to do things right. Like, is this okay? Like, I'm happy, but it's Lent. And, like, sure. Like, sometimes that contrast, God has something to reveal to you in that contrast. Um, but it is a joy. Another thing I remember um, fairly early on, and I um, have been a believer since I was a little girl, um, have always been involved um, and excited, more or less, to be in church. I have a um, kind of a hodgepodge of evangelical Protestant churches in my background. Um, but the... Um, the way of viewing the Christian life as being seasonal was really new to me. I was in like this random one-off kind of women's like Bible study type meeting, and um, the woman who spoke at it was actually Nicole Sanga. Um, she was Nicole Cunningham back then. Just in a really brief um, like word from Scripture, um, which involved like a tree and the fruitfulness, and she said, "What season?" Of life are you in? Like, are you in springtime or fall? Is it winter? And I was like, oh my goodness. I thought as a Christian, I was just fruitful all the time. Like, that is the proper mode, right? You are producing, you're like being holy, you're like doing this stuff. And no one had explicitly said that to me, but that is what I understood the Christian life to be. And it was enormously freeing to understand like, oh, there are fallow seasons that, that, that God brings to us. There are winters when it feels like nothing is happening. And so living through the Christian year with understanding not all seasons are the same was just huge to me. 
that may not be news to any of you here, but it was really meaningful to me. And one of the ways that I interact with that liturgical year and those changes is um, another way to, to look at the liturgical year is actually the Sunday readings in particular are designed to help us walk through the life of Christ. Like that is what the readings are ordered around, the major events and the ministry years of the life of Jesus. Um, so, long introduction to the mood of Advent. Um, it is a now and not yet tension, and we experience this tension sometimes with rising impatience, frustration, even disappointment. Um, here's a quote without accreditation here. It is a season that paradoxically, paradoxically exhorts to patience and sobriety, all the while stoking the desire for the glorious consummation of all things. So it's both sober, patient, waiting. We don't know when Christ is coming again. We want to be prepared. This is serious business. But what we're longing for is this awesome consummation of our unity with Christ when he comes, which is mind-blowingly glorious and joyful. Um, another way of looking at the purpose of Advent is to rouse the people of God to prepare themselves for the end. Um, in the Lutheran church, some of the Advent collects or prayers on Sundays repeat, stir up, stir up. Um, and there's a mood of holy impatience, and that's the phrase that has stuck in my mind. It's a mood of holy impatience where we cry out, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. So we are... It's a season where we are um, intentionally sort of stoking our longing for Christ. And that can be motivated both by like, ah, I love Jesus. I want to be closer to him. Um, I can't wait for that final moment when I see him face to face. Or it can be like, life is really hard. <laughs> like, I trust in Jesus, but I'm experiencing a lot of suffering. Um, come, Lord Jesus. Come, make your deliverance final for me. Um, so both of those things can move us toward that cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Any questions there? It's kind of a summary of what is the purpose of the season and the theology behind it. I'm not as good as Father Aaron at waiting out questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be quiet for like a few more seconds and then we can roll any thoughts, too? It doesn't have to be a question. Um, I just have a question. It relates to the readings. Mm -hmm. like some of the readings, like, is everyone doing all the same readings or not? Right? Like, so we've kind of done our own readings. <laughs> yes, yes. It, so is there like a protocol on which readings you can sort of customize versus which ones everyone is supposed to do in all places? Not really, not really. You're right. There are, so in theory, um, and largely in practice probably, yeah. um, all the churches in the Anglican Communion are following the same liturgy. Um, there's actually a move in the 70s to unify sort of even beyond denominational barriers. So the revised common lectionary is used not just by the Anglican church, but by Lutheran churches. I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. It's similar to, but I think there are differences between what the Roman Catholic missiles mm -hmm. use. Um, but we would be in step, in theory, 
um, with every other Anglican church and lots of Lutherans and Presbyterians um, and even evangelical churches that are checking out liturgy. Um, but no, it is up to the discretion of the individual priest of the parish. Um, and there's quite a bit of flexibility. Um, I think Father Aaron exercises some more flexibility than our parent church, but not necessarily. Um, so we will frequently swap out some of the readings. Usually when we do that, it's just the sermon text. So the series in Exodus, for example. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't check in. Um, I think our, our normal mode would be change out the reading that pertains to the sermon and leave the other set. Um, but you could, and I've been given latitude on Sunday when I'm preaching, if I want to, I can also pick um, other scripture that reinforces that theme because that is what the, the lectionary does. All of the four of the readings um, have some connection to one another that somebody saw somewhere. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. Sometimes I'm like, I think I need somebody to tell me what the connection is. Um, but yes, yes. And um, yeah, so that's kind of a general, hope that's helpful. It's, it's uh, in theory and largely in practice, our church in particular, we're pretty free with swapping things out and it's not really, there's not really any, um, it's not more difficult to change one than the other. The, the priest just has complete discretion. And same thing with a number of readings. Um, traditionally there are four, there are many churches that will do fewer than that. Um, time. When we went to two services, we've gone to three readings. There may be times when we do four again, but we'll just mm -hmm. kind of take that as it comes. So, yeah. Anything else? Well, as a newcomer to the church here, I mean, does the, do the series, the sermon series kind of sync up to the liturgical calendar? Um, you know, what are we moving on to after this Exodus series? That's a really good question. So we are doing um, an Advent-themed series, but I actually don't know. Um, so it's uh, good news for troubled times, um, but I haven't actually looked at Father Aaron's okay. text. So you will be able to take home what the, the lectionary readings are, and you can compare. Okay. You can like check <laughs> off like which ones did Emmanuel mess with and which ones are exactly the same. So, I actually study. meant to check on that before this teaching because it's a relevant question. I think you said you're studying Luke. Yes. Yes. So, um, Luke is used pretty frequently in the Advent readings, which change from year to year. So, I'm like, oh, I've got 15 minutes to cram in stuff. We'll be fine. Um, so, there are two different lectionaries, and a lectionary is simply a pattern that the church sets out for different readings at different times. Um, there is one that pertains to Sundays, and there is one that goes with daily readings, like every day. It took me like a year and a half to figure out that this was the case. I was just very muddled. And it is, it's not, not very straightforward. They're both called lectionaries, but one of them is called um, Sunday lectionary, or the lectionary, and the other is called usually daily office readings. And the ones on Sunday are not the same. So they're completely separate from one another. The Sunday lectionary is the one that sort of turns the wheel of the liturgical year. Um, the daily office readings really don't. They go more, um, you'll read in the book of Isaiah for a long time, you'll read through Second Peter, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, yes, did you have a question? The Book of Common Prayer, is that connected more with like the daily office? It has everything. Okay. Yes, yes. I have one here you can look at. I, one of my favorite things that um, I do in the membership seminar is go over, you know, the Book of, actually do I? I have a different teaching on the, lecture, on the Book of Common Prayer. It's lots of fun. But yes, both of them are in there. What I'm getting excited about is one of the driving um, principles for the formation of the Book of Common Prayer is that there's like just one book that you need, period. You need your um, Bible, you need your hymn book, and you need your Book of Common Prayer, and that's everything you need to live a rich Christian life. So this is, you know, Reformation time, printing press, all of that. Books were still pretty expensive. Um, the people thinking through all things church um, didn't want people to have to have a lot of books in their household to be a, a faithful disciple of Christ. So um, priests and laity use the same book. It's common. It's a common book. So um, basically everything that we do um, either on Sundays or on our homes during the week, funerals, weddings, everything's in the book of Common. Mine's extra thick because it's got a Bible in there too. The print is tiny. Most of them aren't this intimidating. Um, but yeah, and then the, so the lectionary is in here and the daily office lectionary are both in here. My point was, sorry, um, so the Sunday lectionary goes on a three-year cycle. So we have years A, B, and C. Um, and the daily office lectionary is a two-year cycle, years one and two. So the readings for Advents, for Sundays in Advent from the Sunday lectionary change from year to year. We are entering year B, so there are readings for Sunday that are different from what they were in Advent last year and the year before, but then they'll start over. Um, yes, I think I'll, sorry, I'm, I'll jump back in. Feel free to ask questions. I think we'll, we'll circle back to this a little bit. So just some like kind of fun facts for traditional um, elements of Advent observance. And then in about 10 minutes, we'll open this up to discussion, like what does all of this, what might all of this mean for um, our lives this season? So the color currently, because we just were reminded um, fairly recently, was kind of set at purple. Um, black was actually the first color liturgical color for Advent, which seems a little, um, but again, I think, well, anyway, I won't theorize, um, but also blue, so there's a color called serum blue, um, which is a color, it's like about this color, but a little lighter, if you've seen um, uh, paintings of the Virgin Mary, it's the color that's associated with her. Um, and Anglicans, I guess, are more likely than Christians of other traditions to want to have blue candles for Advent. So one, this is a quick plug. If you are hoping to observe Advent with the use of an Advent wreath, do not get hung up about not being able to find the right color of candles on time. If you're like me and you remember things late, or you're like, I don't have any candles, do I want to celebrate it? I don't care what candles you have. If you can find four or five candles between now and Sunday, go ahead and decide <laughs> to start doing this. You can swap out better candles as you find them. Yes? Um, well, what we do at least in my house is that for every day of Advent, we have a candle. Ooh, nice. So you have like 
Do you start on December 1st always, or do you? Always on December 1st. Put it yeah. into a giant spiral, and, and if you... Does it have moving parts to it by any chance? Um, it doesn't have moving parts, but it has this um, figurine of, like, a donkey with um, some on it, so you move the donkey See, around. I think you should have brought this so that we could see it. That <laughs> sounds very cool. But yes, you can have red candles, you can have white candles with purple ribbons, whatever. If they're all orange, just start. That's why I encourage them to. Um, so there are four candle, tall candles for the Sundays of Advent. Some people um, add this white candle in the middle. That's Christ candle. And you light that on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, typically, three of the candles are purple, and one of them is rose colored. Um, that's the third Sunday in Advent which because the nature of Advent was m more somber historically, they thought you needed a little bit of a lift in there. So the rose is um, Gaudete or joy, Joyful Sunday, um, and that gets the pink candle. Which, which Sunday is that? The third one. The third one. Yes. So, quick tip, because this drove me crazy. If you have a wreath and none of them are lit yet, you start with the candle opposite the pink one. Otherwise, you have to move the candles around. <laughs> because whether you're going clockwise or counterclockwise, it's two candles till you get to the pink one. <laughs> just a, you know, just a hack there, a life hack there. Um, however, if you use blue candles, there's no pink candle. So uh, I hope you're taking notes. Again, candle mm. color is important. Really. If you use blue candles, you don't use pink ones? Correct. Got it. Rose. Copy. You don't use rose. <laughs> 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 I think so. They're a little lighter, you know. Enough of a mood lift that you don't have to go all the way to pink. Um, yeah, so you get, yeah, black was used for Advent in the earliest known records of liturgical colors, which is actually not that early. Um, Jerusalem, early 12th century. If you lived there in the 12th century, your candles would be black. I don't think they had Advent wreaths. Um, although the Advent wreath, I found out again today, was refreshing these notes, um, goes back to medieval times, so it's not a new tradition. Um, different images are often associated with Advent. Um, obviously, there are themes of light and darkness. Um, there are also echoes of Palm Sunday in Advent. Um, the triumphal entry passage was used in the 7th century lectionary. You can find this in the daily office readings now. So there is some like seasonal reference in the, um, in the daily office readings, even though they are largely not. But I guess you hit a Palm Sunday reading in there one mm -hmm. of the years. Um, so the rose... Um, actual rose, not just the color, symbolizes both Mary and Jesus, so it's particularly appropriate for Christmas. Um, Moravian stars. Does anyone know offhand what the Moravian star looks like? Should I give prizes if anyone does? Yes. You do know? I don't so know. So it's one of these guys. Can you knows. see? <laughs> it's like the 17 pointed like star. Um, no. And it's displayed from Advent all the way through Epiphany Tide. So um, from Advent to Lent, actually, you can display your Moravian star, which I feel like I've seen these at like a barrel or something. You know? um, there's also the Tao Cross, which is the cross that looks like a capital T, kind of with a little hook on the end, because that um, 
is said to be the form raised by Moses in the wilderness when he lifted the snake up. Um, that is uh, assumed as the shape of the cross, and that symbol anticipated the cross of Christ. Um, and then there are customs. So the most common custom and the one that we're focusing on um, here is the Advent wreath. There's also Advent calendars, which Joshua's family, I think their candles are a type of Advent calendar. There's also, is anyone familiar with the Jesse tree? So it's an artistic rendition of just different ancestors in the life of Christ. So it's other ways, like, that's when I hit every year. I'm like, oh, it'd be so cool to do, like, a family art project with, like, pictures of, you know, we do the scripture reading and history. And anyway, it is an awesome idea. Um, there are also different <coughs> themes for reflection associated with each of the four Sundays. And again, there's lots of different traditions around them. The most common um, are themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And it's in that order, so that your pink candle is your joy candle. Um, they also can focus, and this is linked to the, uh, to the readings um, in Advent, um, guides to Christ, so you could have God's people, the prophet Isaiah, or the Old Testament prophets more generally, John the Baptist, Mary and Joseph, um, angels, shepherds, magi. Um, you can focus on each of those um, more with more emphasis in, in your um, Advent observance. You can also do the patriarchs, the prophets, John and Mary. That's one set that comes together. You can do your more theologically oriented is expectation, annunciation, proclamation, and fulfillment. That one's a little too abstract for me, but you can go there. My favorite one, because it's so countercultural, four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. I really want to do like an Advent sermon series on death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And that really hits that second coming thing. Like, what? Like, how, what would this look like to yeah. you know, set, spend your time preparing for Christmas focusing on these last things? So I'm not kidding. I'm really going to do that sometime. Um, so those are different themes um, for each of the Sundays. Um, and then there's, I have some notes on some more random, like, quirky um, practices for traditions. But... I think I'll spend my last couple minutes here before we go to more discussion time um, a little bit on the structure of Advent and the sequence of the readings because, again, this is kind of counterintuitive. I still find it a little jarring, for example, when the Sunday before Advent we're reading, like, the Christmas story. I'm like, that's next week or whatever. This year it will not be as disjointed because Advent falls on Christmas Eve, but other years I've always been a little startled, like, aren't we saving that one for, like, Christmas? <laughs> um, but the traditional ordering of, or the structuring of Advent is in two parts. Um, one goes from Advent Sunday to December 16th. So it's roughly, again, because some of this is dates that are set and some of them are, like, offset from the lunar calendar, um, the first chunk of Advent has that um, eschatological focus, that end times focus. And then um, from December 16th through the 24th, which is the final week of Advent, um, it's usually interrupted by that first Sunday in Advent. Then you focus on the approaching birth. Um, 
and the O antiphons. Is anyone familiar off the top of your head with O antiphons? Have you ever sung O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? Okay, that is O antiphons. They all begin O, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Come, O Key of David. Um, so they're just called the O antiphons. But there is a focus on the names of Christ as in that last week of Advent, which is another thing, like, I wish I knew more about that. Um, but the, so the chronology then is, starts with the second coming and end times, um, as well as prophecies about the coming of Jesus and the end times. Um, and then as you get closer to Christmas Day, then we have um, the birth of Jesus. Um, so another quote here. The lectionary implies that Jesus' birth can be understood only in the light of the entire mystery of Christ. Conversely, Advent as anticipation of the second coming makes sense only because of Jesus' first coming. Jesus' entire career, therefore, spans all time and space, embracing the breadth and length and height and depth of God's passion to save. So again, this kind of reversal, we talk about the end, the second coming of Christ before we talk about his birth, um, is intentional for understanding you kind of need to know the whole to understand the impact of any one particular point. Um, and by the time you do hit Christmas, you've kind of covered all of that. And in some cases, if the last week, final week of Advent comes almost a week before Christmas <coughs> itself, you have had time to contemplate that um, uh, birth story of Jesus, too. So I think that's it. I have... Um, I have handouts, other handouts, um, so I'll just just overview that too. I also have a merch table, is that how you say it? <laughs> um, which sounds horrible. It's an at-cost at merch table. So, because again, like, maybe I'm in a minority, I would get really hung up on, like, do I have the right stuff to do this right? And finding the right candles is hard. It's actually harder now than it was 10 years ago. I feel like Walgreens used to have taper candles. I don't think they have taper candles anymore. I went to a few local stores, didn't find anything, but Michael's Craft Store on Clark Street has a whole bunch of these, and the day I went there to check, they were half off. So I have a few sets that I got for $2.50. So if anyone is like, oh, I want to practice Advent, and I don't have the candles, and it's the day after tomorrow, I will give you this. It would be nice if you would give me $2.50 back. Um, but yes, if you want some of these, they're for you. Um, and I also have, um, I'll be emailing this out to the listserv, some options for liturgy to use in, the, um, in your Advent observance. So there is no um, set official liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer for Advent. Um, I think that Advent actually began as a home practice and then moved into the church. So it's an at-home thing before you ever saw Advent reads at church. Um, so there are the readings for Advent for sure in the Book of Common Prayer. And then there are collects, which is the collect of the day we pray in church every Sunday. Those will be specific <coughs> to Advent. Um, and then if you're familiar with practicing morning prayer or evening prayer, there are some points in each of those where you would have like a versicle, just a verse, 
um, relevant to Advent that you will insert in there. But there's no like, this is a special thing that you do for Advent. Um, but that means is you're free to pick anything you want from the plethora of resources on the internet or in books or whatever from really any Christian church tradition that observes Advent. But that can be really overwhelming. So I have printed one option on the back of your sheets there just so you can go home with something um, that will be perfectly lovely. Um, and I'll also be emailing out a copy of this, an electronic copy. Um, you may have seen Father Aaron's Facebook post. He has a whiteboard. He's kind of a whiteboard freak. And last Advent, he put up all on one small whiteboard, like how to do Advent. And he has an illustration of the wreath with the colors of the candles. And he has scriptures that you can use. And he has instructions, like read, read a passage of scripture, light the candle, pray, and then eat, if applicable. And that's really all you need for um, this practice of Advent in your homes. Um, so I send you that. I'll send you this. Um, if you want something um, more detailed or robust, I am working on um, something that actually has like a a short service for each Sunday in Advent plus Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, I didn't finish it in time to have it in a lovely format, um, but I have like a Word document. And you can look through it here. Um, you can also look through it um, when it comes in your inbox if you're in, on that. But it has um, a short liturgy for each of the four weeks. Um, it is basically an adaptation of um, uh, an order for worship for the evening, which is a service in the Book of Common Prayer. It's less commonly used than morning prayer or evening prayer. So it's an adaptation of this um, with some extra adventy things and some hymns chosen roughly around the theme of each um, each Sunday, and then also has the readings for year B. So, but let's talk about um, what what you have done historically. Either if you grew up in the church, what did your church do? What did your family do? Um, if you're newer to it but somewhat familiar with Advent. Um, we can crowdsource ideas for this. Um, if you really don't have much history of it, like talk about like what if you have questions about how to do it or what it would look like. Um, and they don't they definitely do not have to be limited to like a Sunday service around the lighted wreath. Um, 